Hello, we are Restoration Church Chicago and welcome to our podcast. You can connect with us through our website, restoration.life, as well as on Facebook and Instagram. Our mission is to glorify Jesus everywhere, and that includes right here, right now. Thanks for tuning in. verse one for a minute because there's a lot of weight in there and I want to let that weight kind of propel us into understanding the rest of what's going on here. I therefore a prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. So when we read the Bible and many of you know this that when we see the word therefore we always have to go back it's an indicator to go back and read and understand what was said before that. 
So Paul is pointing us back to that internal understanding, that thing I said earlier of our salvation that he previously laid out. So in this case, in light of the fact that you've been saved by grace through faith and did nothing to save yourselves and earn this privilege, in light of the fact that you believers in Christ are right now seated in the heavenlies, and you're part of this mystery being revealed to the world, in light of that fact, you've been endowed with the Holy Spirit. In light of all this, I urge you to walk. I urge you to walk. So this, this word urge is not speaking in terms of like, hey, you should really try that sushi place down the street. You, really, you'll like it, I'm, I'm seriously. No, he's, 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 he's begging us. He's begging us, he's pleading with us to understand this. He's saying, please, please don't miss out on this. I'm urging you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. To walk means to order your behavior, order your life, order your priorities. And worthy means to weigh the same. Think of a scale. Jesus on one side, us on the other side. Are we weighing up? Are we worthy? Do we have an honest scale? Bring your practice up to the level of Jesus. Technically, he's saying, remember that power that you have, that source of that power in Christ that I just spent three chapters telling you about and calling your attention to. Live in that way that proves your ability it proves your power. It proves the power of present in the presence of Christ in your life. Order your life in a way that prioritizes Jesus so that others see it. Make your inside what you believe and what you think, referring back to what he laid out. Make that stuff on the inside match your outside. Live congruently. So thank you. This is so this is this is a good little exposition of that verse. But but can we get a little more practical? And Paul says yes, we can get more practical because he's not going to leave it up to us to decide what's a priority and what's important. Thankfully, he's going to spend the rest of this letter addressing many areas of our lives where we need to walk this out. But it's not random that he is starting with our emphasis with an emphasis on our participation in the body of Christ our participation in the church. In other words, Paul is saying, now that you've been saved, now that you have this understanding, the very first place I need you to organize yourself around is your relationship to the body, to the church family that you've been called to. So you have job issues, family issues, mental health issues. Yeah, me too, we all do, we all do. But you've been saved by grace. So get the center of your being plugged into the body because this participation in the life of the body is foundational to everything else. The individual life that we live in Christ and the collective life that we live in Christ are inseparable from each other. One is lived in relationship to the other, and we can't be Christians in isolation. So the very grace that reconciles you to God individually brings us into God-ordained relationships with others, relationships by which our lives become defined in Christ. You see, this relationship that we have in the microcosm of our local church is inseparable from our individual spiritual life. It's the venue in which we engage and interact and practice our faith. Our culture makes a big deal out of going to church. And Paul will be blown away by the idea of checking off a box each week because he knew we were saved into a relationship and for relationship. It's a nonstop two-way relationship and every part of the body is important. And so Hugh talked last week about strengthening ourselves in the Holy Spirit, about developing a growing awareness of what Jesus is doing in our hearts and our inner beings, but all of this is happening in relationship. First to Jesus through the Holy Spirit, and then in relationship to others in the church. It's all relationship. So to learn and grasp the immeasurable love of God that surpasses understanding, we have to do it together. It's an experiential knowledge. It's not information-based. In order to be strengthened in our sensitivity to God's Spirit and increase our understanding of his power at work, it must be done in community. And as we grow in the knowledge of that power, as Paul prayed in the first chapter... 
We're able to hear what God is calling us into. We're able to take courage. We're able to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. So we need to be grounded and established in God's love and its only experience in active relationships with others who are sharing a common faith, hope, and love. It's God's love. It needs to be shared, and it requires us to let go of ourselves. So here's where it gets hard. Verse 2 and 3, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain or keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. What is Paul telling us to do here? He's saying the goal is to maintain unity, and the way we do this is to act in the nature of Christ. Our job isn't to manufacture unity. Our job isn't to try to go figure out how to get it and agree to disagree and do all those things that other organizations in the world do to kind of get along. We maintain what we've already been given in Christ. As verse four and six says, we've been organized by one spirit, one Lord, one Father. There's no division in the Trinity. We strive towards unity in the nature of Christ because unity is the nature of God. You might recall that Jesus prayed in John 17, 22, 23, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. This is why unity is so important. We're part of the divine. It's really hard to even imagine. But the way we do this and experience this is with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Paul is saying, act from the nature of Christ that's in you. We know this is the nature of Christ because in Matthew eleven twenty nine, 29, Jesus reveals himself as gentle and humble. Humility means, and this is a, a good working definition, I think, that helps me, it's unconscious self-forgetfulness. It's not thinking little of yourself or putting yourself down. It's not getting walked all over. It's rather not thinking about yourself at all. It's thinking about others. It's letting relationships pull the Christ out of you while you put your insecurities and natural self-protective nature aside. And meekness or gentleness is somebody who is gentle towards others and submitted to God's will. They live restrained from a selfish perspective. But again, we keep in mind this grace and the humiliation of being rescued from sin. So there's no pride in the Christian's life. We didn't do anything anyways, so it's not, it's not us. We're not special in ourselves. We don't get to look at others in any other light than from the perspective of Jesus. With gentleness and humility, not self-willed. But this, take, but this takes patience. And so he warns us to be patient, bearing with one another in love. What he's literally saying is, don't have a short fuse, Put up with other people's shortcomings because those shortcomings are challenging you to practice your power, to practice your Christ-likeness and your gifts of grace. Every single one of us functioning adults knows what it's like to be at that point where we're losing our patience, right? But we, but we remember grace. We remember Christ's patience with us. See, Christians understand that patience is only experienced under trials, and patient people understand trials and hardships in a biblical way. We value the opportunity to deal with diverse people with a, with a positive attitude and not be provoked by their weakness. We consider it pure joy when we face trial. He calls us to allow others' shortcomings to be an opportunity to practice this. But this only makes sense when we have that proper understanding of the grace that we've been given. Well, we're not caught off guard by this. We shouldn't be when we come into, into these relationships. We're, so we're eager we're eager or we strive to maintain unity with effort and discipline by acting in the nature of Jesus in relationship to our church family. But thankfully, God isn't just asking you to come in here and, and tolerate people and just be a bigger person. He's, he's also helps us maintain this unity by giving us gifts. Each person has a gift. 
And when we come in here, we don't come empty-handed. You may not have thought of that, but, but you're not here empty-handed. You, you have something. Verse seven, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. We all have gifts, a grace given to us to share in the body. Romans 12, three, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to, humility, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned, for as in one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. We belong to each other. We're responsible for each other, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. In 1 Corinthians 12, 4, now there are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. There's that one spirit. And there are a variety of services, but the same Lord, Jesus. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God, Father, who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. Now, I put the list up there for reference, but we're going to... We're going to stick to, do we have the list? Um, but we're going to stick with a general idea of gifts for today. Um, but those, those lists are, yeah, it's up there. Um, it'll show up there. The question I, oh, I have for you is, have you considered your gifts? Have you thought about your special skills and talents and desires? Things that you maybe know in your heart that you're holding back out of insecurity or fear? You pray about this. Pull, pull Hugh and Vanessa aside. Pull one of the elders aside. Have a conversation. Let them know what you're thinking. If you don't have a clue, let them know that as well. Listen to what others say about you. Good things. Good things. We don't always recognize it in ourselves, but other people pull it out over time, and we hear this same message, and we go, oh, maybe, that, maybe I can do that. None of us are exactly the same or gifted in the same degrees and measures. But Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, 1, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. To earnestly desire doesn't just mean sit and wish for them. It means to strive after them. We should practice all of them. In doing so, we will, we will gain experience and, and we'll gain a revelation of, of what we're really good at, what we're really called to. We'll get that affirmation because that gift belongs in the body anyways. That's where you're gonna find it at. Now, it requires vulnerability as well. So let's be aware of that. We're gonna be challenged by this. Now, if we're here long enough, you're gonna hear Hugh, he mentioned it before, about the fivefold gifting of Ephesians 4. These are five unique gifts given to people who are called to ministry leadership within the global and local church, people that are specifically gifted for building up the church, laying foundations, keeping our connection to God's call to reach the nations reminding us of the blueprints and calling us back to that one goal, to contend for the faith. Paul lays out here in verse 11, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. And very quickly, I put up a, a general definition of each one just for people's reference to kind of, if they want to look into it or understand it more. But people with these gifts are passionate about the worldwide church of Jesus and the local church's relationship to it. It's one thing to have a gift, and it's another thing to be identified by your gift and to have that entire gifting placed into the service of the church. Now, their job in verse 12 is to equip. So the word equip means to bring us into good fitness, 
to bring us up to, 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 to good health in Christ, right? So I, I have to remember that even like Michael Jordan had a trainer and Tiger Woods has a coach and all these people have people that are, that are, that are feeding into them and making them better. Their gifting has been tested by their timeless devotion and their adherence to the truth of Jesus. They're constantly pointing their attention away from themselves, pointing back to Jesus. And as much as we can identify these people through their investment and service and their expression of gift, those that are truly gifted don't claim the title. They don't put it on their business cards. They don't run ministries under their own name. They don't have organizational power over restoration. When they come, they bring Jesus. They don't get paid to come. They themselves are sent by and submit to a local church. And in a few weeks, we're going to see an example, as Hugh said, of Ken Grenfell. And he's got that, 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 the prophetic gifting that's going to come through. And, and he'll bring a message for our church body. But he may also call some people out individually and notice some things. Or Tyron Daniels, who's visited us before, who many of us have seen um, speak He's been here several times, but he has a heavy apostolic gifting. And people like Tyron remind us of that one vision and one faith. He directs our attention to the gospel in the same way that Paul does in his letters to support the church. And then, of course, we have specific giftings like evangelizing, pastoring, and teaching. And so it's this gift sharing and relating to others in the nature of Jesus through participation in the body of Christ locally and in connection globally that we experience the divine and are growing towards our final destination, right? Which is until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working property, properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So I want to paint a picture for a minute. I want to paint, I, I have my, my props here, my fake Legos. Yeah, this is exciting. This is... This is a Lego. I mean, this is, this is pretty much, this alone is pretty much the most worthless toy. It's, it's good for, I mean, you can't even throw it at somebody because it won't hurt. But if you step on it, it will. Okay, that's about all it's good for. It just, it just lives in this box, hoping to be part of some kid's grand creation. Now, some of you know where I'm going with this. I mean, Cullen saw the box on my chair and he guessed already without me even talking about it. So you see, we, we, we are this Lego. We, we are unique. We're individual and gifted, but pretty worthless unless we're plugged in to a purpose. That may sound harsh, but it's true. The Lego was meant to connect to other Legos and build something special. And many of us can relate to that Lego because we've lived just like this Lego, detached, unuseful, trying to find a purpose, trying to fit in somewhere, trying to manufacture self-esteem, but never quite finding our home. And of course, we try, right? We try. We may plug in, start getting some things going. We got a new relationship. I got a new job. Things are going well in my life. And we, we feel like it's, it's coming together. And then suddenly, mom walks in and says, hey, pick up your toys. And it all goes, all goes back in the box, and it falls apart. And that's it. And now we're holding on to whatever identity that we, that we think we can. Waves come crashing down. This random box of Legos is, is the world it, it, that we exist in. We all exist in this world, right? And as the world moves, 
so goes everybody in it. But what God has done is he's pulled out this individual Legos. He pulled us out of this mess and he said, I'm building a temple. I'm building a temple for my presence to dwell and I want you to be part of it. Remember in chapter two, Paul tells us that in Christ himself being the cornerstone, there's only one bright green one, I did that on purpose, I want to be true, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into the holy temple of the Lord. In him, you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. I'm giving you a purpose. I placed you in my church, in my son Jesus. This is the body of Christ coming together and you're invited to plug in, attach yourselves, become part of this thing that's being built with Jesus as the cornerstone because it's there that we get to find out what our gifts are and share our gifts and live out our gifts. Now, when we're attached to the rest of the body, we're strengthened. We're reinforced. When the world gets shaken, right? When the world gets shaken, we're secure in our identity. We're experiencing the glory of God in relationship to the body. And if we go back into the world, we go back into the world as part of something much bigger than ourselves, part of something secure, and we have a place. In the Old Testament, the temple of the Lord was a physical structure. And in 2 Chronicles 7, after Solomon dedicated the temple, we get a beautiful picture of what God is intending to do with us. When it says, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. The priests couldn't even enter and everyone outside were face down because the glory of the Lord filled that temple. I want to be part of that temple. These are the people that get to see the glory of God. Do you want to see the glory of God? Do you, do you want to be part of what God is doing? Don't you, don't you want to humble yourself enough to say, I want to plug in wherever I can. So find out what are the holes. Who needs help? Who needs a friend? Let me help you. Let me be your friend. I'll be it. What do we need to do? Since I, since, a little testimony. Since I have joined this church, I've tried to say yes as much as possible. I'm quite sure that was God. But yes, I've tried to say yes as much as possible. And what I've experienced in regards to my relationship with God has been profound. And, and some of you know what I'm talking about because you experience it too. Right? You, because you're part of it. You're a part of it and you walk with it and suddenly you want more of it because your knowledge of that power is growing in your heart's awareness. When we exercise these giftings in humility and patience and love in relationship to each other, the whole body's being built up and when these gifts are working together from the mind and the heart of Christ, we're all brought up together in maturity. As verse 16 says, built up in love, which in turn affirms our identity to the world. As Jesus said in the book of John, we'll be known by our love for one another. This kind of love is unmistakable. It stands out in the world. As I read Ephesians, and I, I wondered, have, have I been thinking about my, my personal faith a, a little, little too personally? Does it exist too much in my head? Because Paul just took all that personal stuff and he made it practical. And, and, and what he does in these 16 verses is he takes my, makes my personal faith as much, if not more, about others than myself. He gives us the church and the family of believers and a, and a little flashlight inside of me. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. I'm gonna, he gives it a place to shine. And when I shine in the church, I don't stand out because I become one of many lights that are shining together, right? Coming together, brightening up the space and that light is the glory of God. And the brightness is Jesus, in the world. So, so what is God expecting from us believers? 
Participate in relationship with your fellow believers in the nature of Jesus by engaging your gifts in ministry and good works through the church in order to grow in maturity in Christ's likeness. One commentator said, unity is a condition of maturity. Division is a sign of immaturity. We live in a very divided world. No person can attain spiritual maturity by themselves and no church can reach maturity without the individual participation of people who are sharing their gifts. So the way that we walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called is by unifying as one family and in a diverse sharing of gifts. Those are the instructions. That's the invitation that's on the table. So maybe, maybe you're not a committed follower of Jesus. Maybe you're still kind of like wrestling with the first three chapters. Maybe you're like, what is this guy talking about? Um, maybe you've just taken your faith and thought it was something to apply to your own goals and your own desires and areas of your life. Maybe your extent of participation is showing up on Sunday, attaching and then detaching for the rest of the week. Or maybe you're desperate to be used by God to know his immeasurable power and love. In any case, that invitation, as I said, is on the table to respond to and be part of what God is doing. And you already have what it takes to do so. You have Jesus. So I will end this by echoing Paul in urging you, in urging us. Let me pray. Lord, we thank you for your presence here today. We thank you for your presence in, in, in the prayer, in the worship, and in, 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 in this conversation that we're having, Lord God. Thank you for your revelation. That I, I thank you that I know that I can't hold all of you inside of me, in my head, that it requires brothers and sisters to share in that relationship, Lord God, to, to express your divine nature. Thank you for the privilege of calling us, first, for speaking to us, for awakening our hearts to join you. I speak against the fears and the anxieties, Lord God. I speak against the things that are pulling us out and the problems that are actually distractions that pull us away from full devotion to you. In our hearts, Lord God, reveal to us individually what needs to be laid aside while giving us a greater revelation of you and how big you are and where you're going, Lord God, so that we have the courage to continue to walk and face and let go of things to gain more of you, to gain more of you, Jesus. I thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening. We hope you were encouraged. Don't forget to connect with us through our website, restoration.life, as well as on Facebook and Instagram. 